Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? Can we get an update on your progress? I know this has been kind of a, a big week for you. So tell us what's going on. Yeah, um, I got some great news on Monday from the orthopedist, Dr. Samuel Sanders. I was ready to go into my one month uh, checkup after my ACL surgery, which was exactly a month ago, ready to perform any exercise I felt like he needed to see for me to be told that I can get rid of the freaking brace because this brace has just been really tough on my legs and it's just caused a lot of bruising and pain. I just never fit me right. And then of course I sleep in a different brace. So I was so eager and hopeful that when I went to my appointment on Monday, he would see my performance, get rid of the brace. I didn't even have to perform Lisa. I just, uh, was in there in the, in the room and he walks in and he greeted me, said, you look great. And then he fiddled with my knee and did all kinds of tests. And he said, your knee feels great. Can you tell, can you tell? I said, and, um, I did a couple of quad, uh, performances for him and just to show my strength. And he said, without hesitation, you do not have to use the brace anymore. And the reason I was released from the brace sooner than some other ACL patients is because I didn't have a root meniscus tear or something that caused me to be on crutches for a long period of time. I was basically weight bearing the first week. And that is because I had a simple, not simple. I had a full ACL tear, but it was not accompanied by something else that would require me to be non weight bearing for six weeks. So as a result, I am thrilled to announce that I am no longer wearing a brace except in crowds. And that is to me um, from others bumping into me. So if I'm traveling or if I'm at a basketball game for Ella or something like that, I will have my brace on to make sure my knees protected. Uh, also because I will no longer be in a brace, I was given permission to drive. So yesterday I drove Yay. for the first time in over a month. And today I went to the grocery store by myself for the first time in over a month. And I generally hate going to the grocery store, but I was so joyful having the opportunity to run that errand for myself today. And I just feel like those two elements, the brace um, and driving have given me a sense of independence again and freedom. And I'm so, so grateful that I'm progressing the way I am. I've also been doing a lot more exercise. Um, I've, of course at PT, I go twice a week and then I've also been doing more strength training this week. Um, nothing too heavy, but just doing some things that I was doing before my surgery and feeling like I'm not just doing physical therapy, but actual strength exercise. I'm not going to be allowed, allowed to do anything more advanced in terms of getting my heart rate up for at least, um, probably four, three, four more weeks, because I really need this ligament to be absorbed by my body. And it, I don't want a situation where I retear it because I decided to, you know, ride a bike too, too vigorously or, or get on an elliptical or something like that. So I'm allowed to walk, I'm allowed to do some modified strain training and drive. And so in a nutshell, things are really looking up. And I, I got to tell you, because I lost these freedoms, running is not top of mind. So I think if I had all these freedoms, I'd be thinking more about when can I run? When can I run? I'm not even there mentally at all because I didn't have any independence over the last four or five weeks. So just having that back in my life, I feel like a real person again, and it, it's really great for my mental health. So 
that's where I am. And thanks to everyone out there who's been asking and thanks for watching my little videos. If For those of you who haven't seen, I've been making weekly reels that we put out on our Instagram account that update my progress each week. I pretty much do those for me so that I have a tangible representation of, of how I've progressed because day to day, it's hard to, to see it and feel it. And um, downside, I'm still not sleeping great, but I'm hopeful I'll turn a corner on that. I just wake up every night around four in the morning with some pain. And at this point I'm popping an Advil and I generally can get back to sleep within an hour. Um, but that's, that's not great for my mental health either. I need sleep. So I'm, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to get back some sleep, uh, within the next few weeks as well. Apparently this is very normal. It's just a pain in my ass. So that's my update. Thanks for asking. How are you? <laughs> I'm great, but I do want to say that, you know, I think your progress is, is indicative of how much um, effort and focus you've put into the process. And you've been so diligent at doing, following all the instructions, doing, researching best practices, making sure you have a really great team behind you. So um, it's not surprising, but it's encouraging and it's hard to believe it's been a month. I know for you, it probably feels like it's been a year, but it does seem like it's gone by fast. And I know progress has not been linear the entire time. So it is nice to kind of look at the bigger picture and see your progress um, from week to week or over the past month. So um, that makes me very happy. And I know that having that independence to you is, is very, um, is really, really important and a big uh, mood lifter. So I'm, I'm happy to see that. Um, you know, things are good with me. I'm excited about today's podcast. I was going to give a little background on how um, we came to, to decide to do this subject. Um, uh, last month, uh, I was helping out my sister um, by taking care of her. She has three boys and uh, taking care of her three boys while she was having some surgery, which is another story, but um, and, and uh, going to live at her house and um, get them to school and just um, take care of them. And, uh, you know, she figured I was pretty qualified with three kids of my own. So I was very honored to, to be asked to have the opportunity to spend that time with my awesome nephews. And um, as soon as I got there, um, my uh, middle nephew, uh, Noah, um, said to me, he's 10, 10 years old. Um, yes, 10, turning 11 this year. And um, he says to me, I listened to all your podcasts with my mom. I love your podcast. Tell me more about your podcast. And uh, we were talking about the podcast and he said, Aunt Lisa, I want to be on your podcast. And I, I said, no, I said, that's really sweet. I said, but what would you talk about on a running podcast? And he said, well, I would like to talk about my condition. Um, he has a, a, a um, hereditary condition um, that he'll explain in, in our short, um, brief um, uh, bonus at the, at the end of this episode. But he said, uh, you know, I have a condition that makes it really hard for me to run and I play baseball and for baseball, I have to run. And I think it's important for people to know that even people who have conditions that make it hard to run, that you can still do that. And I said, that is a really good subject, Noah. I really like that. And so he said, well, when can we record? So I said, all right, let's, you know, we sat down and we came up with a list of questions and I explained how our recordings work. And we went into a quiet room in their house and he was very interested to see, um, you know, how we record and the app that we use and the process that we go through in selecting guests and, and in coming up with interview questions. Um, and so we sat down and we did a little interview and, um, uh, you know, I mentioned it to you when I got back and we said, well, you know, that's just a good subject is people who run with challenge, who, who've overcome challenges to run and how they um, adapt and how they pivot to, to um, still do what they love. And even though running isn't his primary sport, he does it for baseball. Like, how does he, how does he work around that? And how do, um, how do, how do 
you know, in general, how do people who run who, who have these um, really significant challenges, what, how do they do that? So, um, uh, you know, we were just thinking about uh, who we could, who we could interview and um, we had come across Justine, a few articles on her and a video about her. And I mentioned her to you. And then ironically, a few days later, you saw her on the Today Show. So that's sort of how that came about. And at the end of today's um, interview with Justine, um, we will have a, a bonus episode with Noah. Um, and so you, our listeners can, can hear from Noah in, in his words, how he's overcome his challenges. But I, I talked to my sister today and I told her to make sure that Noah knew that um, we would not have been had the opportunity to meet and talk to Justine, who is phenomenal and just such an amazing um, runner and person. We would not have had that opportunity to meet her and talk to her had it not been for Noah. So thank you, Noah, if you're listening. Um, that was a great inspiration for this episode. Shout out to you, Noah. Thanks for setting such a wonderful example to all runners on how to overcome challenges and learn to explain what your challenges are so others can learn from your obstacle and be better themselves. So great job, Noah. And yes, Justine Galloway, as a result of the research prompted by Noah, is our guest today. And wow, is Justine a force. So again, we saw Justine on the Today Show and she was actually originally aired, her story was aired in August, but I happened to be home convalescing, of course, and I was watching today's show third hour and her story was up again. And Justine runs backwards. Justine runs half marathons and she also ran the New York City Marathon backwards. And it's really incredible because Justine at one point thought she would never be able to run again because Justine, who grew up being an avid runner, and she'll talk about this more in the episode, her dad was her biggest influence. She watched her dad go from a successful runner to um, struggling with Parkinson's, and he eventually passed away, unfortunately, after many, many years of suffering from Parkinson's. During that time, while her dad lost running, Justine gained running. And due to her dad's influence as a result of that, she was a runner in high school in Teaneck, New Jersey, and then went on to run D1 at Rutgers University. And she shares that cool story and how that came about. And she ran 10 marathons. And her 10th marathon was her third Boston marathon. She has a PR of 316. And she was running her third Boston marathon when all of a sudden at around um, mile 18, she had to stop. She just wasn't feeling right. Um, she kind of felt like she was falling over. She wasn't sure what was going to happen. And she made the intelligent decision to not finish thinking there's always another marathon, but I need to take care of myself right now. And she got off the course. And after an odyssey of visiting with many doctors, trying to ascertain what was going on with her, and she'll delve into that more. And that's a story in and of itself. She was eventually diagnosed with something called runner's dystonia. And many of us have now heard of runner's dystonia because runner's dystonia is also what Kara Goucher very publicly revealed that she was diagnosed with last year. And runner's dystonia is also called focal dystonia. It's a neurological condition that affects a muscle or group of muscles in a specific part of the body during specific activities, which causes involuntary muscular con contractions and abnormal postures. So they say with focal dystonia, it happens to a task that you have done over and over again. So for Justine, she used to run forward a lot. And the most she ever ran per week was 80 miles. So she was an avid runner and she didn't always run backwards. But after going through physical therapy, after this diagnosis, she realized that 
she could still run by running backwards. And that's exactly what Justine has been doing. So in keeping with the theme of this podcast episode, it's how do I keep running when I encounter obstacles? And certainly Justine has done that. And she shares her journey and how she has broken world records and how she met some very special people while running backwards on the many courses she's run. Uh, and we won't spoil the, the end with this, but she'll share that. But we love Justine's story. We we truly admire her. She's truly a force. Um, we were surprised to find she really hasn't been on any other podcasts. So we're really excited to share her story. Um, basically for the first time, she, I believe she was on one in 2017, a very brief podcast about the charity component she ran in the New York city marathon, when she ran for team Fox, but, um, no one's really delved into her incredible story, um, on a podcast. So we're really excited and honored that Justine was willing to speak with us. So, um, Justine can also be found on social media, on Instagram, give her a follow. She's trying to grow her social media and her Instagram handle is runner spelled backwards. 316. And we'll also link it up in our show notes. And um, yeah, that's Justine. So before we go and we turn it over to our interview with Justine, we just wanted to give everyone who's starting their marathon training uh, a little nugget this week on something that we really want everyone to work on. And uh, we hope this, this information will find you in a place where either you're hearing it for the first time, you're like, that's me. Or if you've heard it before, it serves as a reminder so that you can start off your marathon training season with success. So go ahead, Lisa, with our tidbit we wanted to share this week. Yeah, I think um, we see this a lot at the beginning of training cycles um, with runners we work with, with local runners that you know, we run with. Um, everyone goes into the training cycle, especially in January, maybe it's like the new year phenomenon of like gung-ho, like I am going to crush this training cycle. And the tendency is to want to get out there and crush every single run. So we've actually heard this a lot from our runners this week. We've had runners who, you know, said, oh, I just, you know, I, um, I ran that I know too fast, but I don't feel like I get a workout if I don't run that fast. Or um, I ran with uh, this group of friends or this group that I decided to run with and they were running so fast and I kept up with them and it was great. It was a, it was a real high. And, um, and, and we think that's great. We think it's great that runners can do that. We think it's great that you can go out and crush a workout. You can have a really strong workout, but what we want to remind runners is this is the beginning of a training cycle. And, um, cumulative stress and cumulative fatigue does, does happen. And um, if you start out the training cycle with kind of little, I think of them as like micro, um, micro, uh, 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 like, what's the word I'm looking for, but, you know, like uh, micro um, traumas, micro, you know, micro aggression, not micro aggressions. That's not micro tears. My tiny tears are normal, but beyond that. Yeah. Just like, it was like, yeah, it's, it's a little bit too, you know, every run is a little bit too fatiguing. A little, every run's a little bit too, little um, additional bits of fatigue as you go. So maybe micro fatigue is a good, is a good word. Um, and, and it, and it accumulates and we're just at the beginning of the training cycle. So as, as mileage gets higher, um, total my, weekly mileage gets higher, your body may not bounce back from those as well. And so you really have to think about like, what is my purpose with this workout? Like, is this, a, is this a aerobic base building run? Well, then that's what it should be. I don't need to hit a certain pace for it or to be successful. I don't need to come back drenched in sweat, especially when it's cold out. Like we're not going to feel the same. Like, I know I don't feel like I work as hard 
in the winter when I come back and I'm not as sweaty, but I know my body's gotten the same benefits as it would in a really sweaty, like hot run. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the people, especially type A marathoners who want to feel like they get the hardest workout possible, they've challenged themselves the most, they're going to go run with a fast group so that they can really, um, you know, otherwise on their own, they may not run that hard, but it motivates them to run faster with a, you know, with a faster group. Again, it's all great accomplishments and we think that's great, but it's may not have a place in a marathon training cycle. So just kind of um, keeping the long goal in sight, I think is really important. And we see, um, again, people start out kind of gung-ho and um, it can, doesn't always, but it can lead to overtraining, to injury. And it's just not um, purposeful. It's not, it's not specific. You know, and when we kind of get trained as coaches, we talk about the theory of specificity. Like you want to train for the specific event or the specific activity that you're doing. And um, it may not be specific to go out and do 5k speed work. If you're planning to train for a marathon, now it may have a piece, it may fit in your training cycle somehow to work on efficiency and economy every few weeks to do a, that type of workout. Um, but you really have to keep in mind and that, that applies to, to, you know, we have a lot of runners who live in cities that have great running groups and those running groups um, may have, you know, a training schedule and that training schedule could be for a, a 10K, a 10 mile, or you don't know, you know, when you go into those, ask the head coach, you know, what is the purpose of the, of the training cycle? Like what, what is it? And make sure that fits with your, with your, um, with your goals. So I guess my, you know, our, our kind of, messages at the start of your training cycle, make sure you're going into it with a long game in sight and you have that patient long-term uh, view in mind versus that instant gratification of getting in a really hard, good hard workout. Yep. I think that's well said. I have nothing to add to that. Thank you, Lisa. Um, well, Lisa, I hope you have a great week and without further delay, we want to bring our listeners, Justine Galloway and your nephew, Noah. Have Thanks, a great week, Julie. Lisa. You too. Bye. Bye. Justine Galloway, thank you so much for joining us on the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We found you on the Today Show, and we, of course, read about you as well, and we are so excited to introduce you to our listeners. So why don't you provide us first with a little background about yourself, and in particular, your running background? Sure. Well, thank you both. Um, Julie and Lisa for having me on the show. I'm grateful um, for you guys reaching out to me and being on the show. Um, I started running as a little girl. Um, my dad was a runner. He actually started running when he knew he was going to have a third child, which was me. <laughs> um, so he started getting in shape. Um, this was, you know, I was born 1980. So right before then he was a smoker, quit smoking, started running. Um, ran New York City Marathon in 1980. Um, and so he was, as he was training for marathons in the early 80s, um, I would run around the block with him. So he would um, finish his long run and then run around the block and he'd always let me win. I mean, he'd ran 18 miles, but I was also like four. So I'm pretty sure he was letting me win. Um, so I started running at a very early age. Um, by the time I was six or seven, my dad was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, he continued to run through Parkinson's. 
when I was 10, he was let go from his job because of Parkinson's. Um, he ran Marine Corps marathon. That would be his last marathon. Um, and he would end up in the hospital after it because it just took a toll on his body. Um, <clears throat> so as he continued to not only not be able to run, but also struggle with walking, my running career kind of took off. Um, we had ran fun runs together when I was a little girl in New York when I was six. And so I just continued to run. I ran in high school. Um, I ran for Teaneck High School and I ran track and cross country um, at a great school and really enjoyed it. And then um, when I wanted to go to college, I thought about running for college, but it was very competitive. Um, and so I still remember, you know, looking at D3 and D2 schools and, you know, they thought I'd have no chance at a D1 school. I ended up going to Rutgers. Um, and my freshman year, I didn't, um, I, I ran with the team, but the day of like actual, um, the test to make the team, I, I got scared and didn't do it. So sophomore year, I was running all year through freshman year and sophomore year, someone's like, are you on the cross country team? And I said, no. So then I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try for it. And I made the team, which was pretty awesome for me just because I was back of the pack runner, but it's still D1. So I'll take it. Um, and I ran for a few years and then I started getting into running marathons. Um, when I was in 2001, I was going to run New York. My dad was getting deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's. Um, I missed the 2001 marathon because of just runner's knee, like all of us have. Um, in 2002, I ran New York City Marathon. Um, and then I went on to run uh, Chicago and Boston and uh, nine marathons in my 20s. Um, my dad, again, was also his health wasn't doing so great. So he would end up in and out of hospitals and rehab places. Um, but it was my running career was something we always like talking about. So, um, you know, he would tell me that the people at the nursing home told them, told him their son won Boston and he knew better because he was young and new, but, um, but it was great. It really, you know, I, loved going in to see him. I always got nervous. I'd get sick because it was right before the marathon and I'd have to go into a hospital. In hindsight, it didn't matter, but um, it was great just kind of talking to him. And then when I was 29, um, he passed away. Um, so it was unexpected. I think he had just lived with Parkinson's for so long. He was kind of tired of, of struggling through Parkinson's. Um, so he passed away when I was 29. I was supposed to run Big Sur Marathon a month later um, for my 30th, and I decided to go for it because that's what he would have wanted. Um, so I continued to run. And then um, in 2010, I ran Chicago, was my last full marathon forward. And then in 2011, I went to go run Boston for what would have been the third time. Um, and I got to mile 18 and I just, I wasn't feeling good. Um, and so, and sorry, if this is too much information, please feel free to cut out anything. No, keep going. <laughs> um, so I went into the, the medic tent at mile 18 and I had dealt with bursitis and all the other injuries we deal with as runners. And, um, they took my blood and they're like, oh, well, you know, you're fine. Go continue running. And at that point I thought, well, I've ran Boston twice. I'll be back again there's no point. Like, I'll just take the shuttle back and it, there'll be another Boston, right? We'll live for another Boston. And so I took the shuttle back, you know, felt 
a little upset, but it was fine. Um, I went back home and two weeks later I was running with my friend. And again, I don't know if this is related, but I took a fall and I hit my head. Um, and I, we continued running and I was fine. And then a little time after that, my left leg just started not responding to my brain anymore. And I would, um, trip, um, or just kind of not be able to get my left leg to turn around. Like it would go up, but it wouldn't come down without me really thinking about it. Um, I tore a hole in my shoe box, in my toe box, um, which I, you know, have never done. I only had about 20 miles on it. Um, so I started going to different doctors. Um, I thought for sure it was orthopedic. So I, you know, I went and I was like, is it my knee? It has to be my knee. It has to be my hip. It has to be something like that. Um, I went to a ton of orthopedics. I went to one who was all the way in Penn state because they were ranked as number one. I was living in the Northeast at the time. And he said, I don't know what this is, but it's not, it's not muscular. He's like me. I would say MS, but I don't know because I'm not a neurologist. Um, and I was started going to neurologists. I got told everything from go see a psychologist. Um, you just don't want to run forward, which was probably the hardest thing um, to, you know, it's, I don't know what this is. Like everyone tried to diagnose it, but especially because focal dystonia and runner's dystonia is not, it's not MS, it's not Parkinson's neurologists don't have time to deal with someone who can't run forward. Right. And, and I get that. I understand my disorder of not running forward is, is small compared to someone who's dealing with, you know, Parkinson's, but it's hard when you're a runner your whole life and you don't know what's wrong. So, um, it was impacting my walking at some point where I would go from the car to the grocery store and I would cry because I was 31 and I couldn't walk um, to the grocery store without like just my left leg, not listening. Um, I was doing physical therapy and through that I was able to walk the same as I was. And, you know, even swimming, it felt like I was carrying a dead leg. My left leg just wouldn't go anywhere. And so, um, you know, through PT, I was able to walk. Um, but whenever my, my personal, my personal trainer or physical therapist at the time would have me run forward run backwards and run sideways on the treadmill. And when I ran forward, I would cry because I, I just couldn't do it. It wasn't, you know, I grew up running. I grew up just going outside, tying your shoes and, and running and not thinking about how do you run. And so, um, you know, I, I, no one had an answer for me. So I decided, you know, one person thought it was MS and they were going to give me a spinal tap. Um, but my walking got better. And I was like, there, there's some, you know, things that could go wrong with that. So I was like, I'll just, I'm fine. So I continue walking, continue swimming and biking and didn't go to another neurologist or, uh, um, orthopedic. And then I wanted answers. So I went back, um, and there was a person at a, a resident at JFK in New Jersey, um, who said maybe it's early onset Parkinson's or dyskinesia. Um, and so I looked up dyskinesia and running and I found runner's dystonia in a case study that was done in 1990. Um, and I brought this into the, the resident and he's like, this is what you have. Um, and so I had a, a diagnosis um, and he put me on Simonet, which is what my dad was on in the early stages of Parkinson's. And it really 
impacted him neurologically. He had, you know, it, it just isn't a great medicine. I think people need to take it. And I understand that. But for me, having experienced my dad with his medicine case at a young age, that is nothing. I didn't want that for my life. Um, you know, my mom had a hard time with that when they put me on Simonet. So I was on it for two weeks. My running didn't get better and I wasn't, I, it wasn't, you know, worth it to me. Um, so I stopped, I stopped going to see neurologists and orthopedics and doctors in general, cause I grew up in and out of hospitals with my dad. And I saw his life was consumed by going to see doctors and being on new medication and new treatments. And I just, I didn't want that for my life. Um, and so I decided I was going to stop running. I decided I was going to bike and swim. I moved out to California because you could swim and bike in California. Um, while I was in Jersey, I actually uh, found someone else who had dystonia. And at the time, there weren't a lot of people with it. And so I reached out to her um, and I met her when I got here. And it was just nice knowing someone else who had it. Um, and she was about five or five years older than me. So she had already been through kind of my same story. Um, and so I came out to California. I was going to swim and bike and missed running. And so I started running backwards and I just, you know, a little bit at a time. And the person I reached out to, she had also found that running backwards helped her as well. And she had on her fridge, she was more of a, a short and middle distance runner, all these Guinness world records of people running backwards. And I was like, I have no idea that's even a thing. And so um, I started running backwards longer and longer. At first I ran backwards on the sand and would fall a lot. And then I started running backwards on the street um, and eventually even joined running groups, which is hard because a lot of times when people hear you run backwards, they're like, you're, you're going to interfere. You're going to hurt someone. Like they're so concerned. And I get that. Um, but you know, for me, it's the only way I can really run the way I used to and, and just get lost in the run. And then, um, you know, I ran a half marathon and first time the Guinness world record didn't count, um, because my brother's GoPro gave out. <laughs> So then we did it again and uh, my sister flew in um, to run with me and my my now husband ran with me as well and we got the Guinness World Record. Um, and then it's funny because then later on someone broke the Guinness World Record. It, it had been standing for like 12 years and I broke it and then someone broke it. And so, you know, my husband and I were like, oh, well, I think I can break it again. So I broke it again and then like, the person text messaged me and she's like, Oh, I saw that you broke my record. I just want you to know I'm coming after you. And I'm like, I don't care. So it's just funny because it's been, you know, for me, if everyone started running backwards, I know I wouldn't have a record, but it was a cool thing to like do. I mean, I barely made a D1 school. Like it was hard for me. And now I have a Guinness like world record. Like, so from going from, you know, just not being able to run forward to having a Guinness world record, like that was pretty cool. And so she eventually did break my record, um, but I'm still running backwards and I'm still having a blast. And then I ran New York city marathon backwards for Michael J. Fox foundation, which honestly, and we'll definitely get to that. We want to, okay. but we want to unpack a few things. First of all, congratulations, <laughs> because your journey, it's, it's initially very heartbreaking. You lost your father and then you watched him go through a health journey that you never thought in a million years, I'm sure that you would then sort of initially mirror. 
So it must've been very scary for you during those few years when you were trying to figure out what was going on and, and how did you deal with that? How were you able to navigate your journey and, and be mindful of the fact that you were young and you wanted answers without feeling sort of um, negative regarding your dad's diagnosis and, and not wanting to hear that for yourself? How were you able to troubleshoot it and, and get to that place? Yeah. I mean, I think seeing how the illness impacted my dad, I had always thought I would run until I was a hundred. I always thought I would never stop running and I would never stop moving. Like even, you know, if, if it's walking, I would never stop moving because I saw what it did to him and he was mentally there, but he just couldn't, he couldn't walk and he couldn't move. And near the end, you know, even lifting him out of bed and just, it just was hard. And so I think that made me want answers more and want to find ways to keep moving. I think, you know, had I not had seen my dad struggle and be the fighter that he was, and even, you know, my mom and my whole family just fought. Right. And so I wanted to be that fighter. Right. And I wanted to find a way to move and whether it was walk, swim, bike, crawl, I didn't want my life to be over at 32. Um, you know, I'm not saying that's life ending, but for a runner who's ran their whole life, like not being able to, to move is, is difficult. Absolutely. And so with that being said, what advice do you have for folks out there that are listening to your story and saying, wow, that took so much courage. How, how does one have the patience to navigate the health system the way you did and ask the right questions and then sort of discern the opinions and say, you know what, I don't like that approach. I'm going to try a different approach. How are you able to do that? And what advice do you have for folks out there navigating something maybe different, but feeling the same as you did? Yeah. I mean, I think the health system, and I don't know, I'm not part of the health system, but from my experience, like you either fit into a box and if you don't fit into the box, they don't have answers for you or they just try to stuff you in that box. And so I think for me, I had to do my own research and I had to find my own answers and I had to define my own journey. Like I, you know, I messaged a neurologist because I wanted to run backwards at the Y and they needed a note from a neurologist and all this other stuff. And he said, you should go see a neurologist. And I'm like, that's great. And that's your recommendation. But for me, I'm going to wait until I really need one. So I, I think you have to make your own decisions like, and get opinions from other people. Like not everyone's going to have the same. I mean, the person who said I should see a psychologist, right? I could have just listened to that. And so I think you have to be your biggest advocate and you have to fight for what you want. And I think you, once you have answers or once you think you have something you have to figure out what you want to do with that. Right. Like I, I knew what I needed was an answer. And then once I had that answer, I defined my own path forward. Yeah. Justine, you had kind of um, uh, mentioned earlier that when you were diagnosed, there was nobody else. You had found one person and um, we, you know, and as runners, we had I've never heard of runner's dystonia until Kara Goucher, which I'm sure, you know, obviously you're familiar with. So how, when you heard about that and kind of the awareness that has come from that, um, how did that, um, you know, kind of just, how did that affect you and how has that um, affected the awareness now, you know, other people have of your, of, of the condition? How, how did that come into play when that, when that happened? So the crazy thing about this um, is that in 2000, 
2018, I think it was, I went to a Caragaucho retreat. Um, and so it was a retreat in Colorado and we, I think it was all women. We all, you know, gave discussions of our story and I told my story. She later reached out to me, um, about dystonia. Um, and obviously it's Caragaucho, like the most famous word in the whole entire world. Um, it's hard. I don't wish it on anyone. And, you know, to me, as much as I would love to say it's my career, it is my, my love. Um, I think for her, it's her love as well. And, and that makes it hard. Um, I recently went to Wazelle Bird Camp and I saw her there and I gave her a hug. And I don't know if that was the right thing, but that's the only thing I could do. I mean, I think it's I think it's good because people will know about runner's dystonia, but I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And I can't imagine what she's going through having been a runner her whole life. And I, and I think, you know, there's more information out there and that's good, but there's still not a cure and there's still not a path forward to run the way you used to. And so I, it's hard. And, and, you know, I think more people are aware of it, um, but you know, it doesn't make it any easier. And I, I just, my heart goes out to her because it is, you know, I, you see people, it doesn't, it never goes away. It gets easier, but I see my friends running. I see people running. It looks a lot easier to just go out for a run forward and not worry about it. And so it, it gets easier, but it, it never goes away. Yeah, well, don't downplay, I mean, because she was a professional and, and you know, it was her job, but it, for both of you, it was your life and your passion. And that's something I think, exactly. a lot of, you know, it, it, whether you're getting paid for it and people know you for it, or it's just something that brings you joy every day. Yeah, that's, that's a challenge. Um, So you said it doesn't improve. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't go away. There is no cure. So um, first of all, do, does it affect other areas of your life other than running? And how have you had to adapt your running? running backwards, I feel like I would kill myself. Like, how do you run backwards safely? And how do you do that, you know, comfortably and not get injured, you know, running forward, we get injuries with constant forward motion, maybe, you know, backwards still changes at least the motion, but it's still a constant motion. So, so I guess the questions are, um, you know, how, how have you adapted to, to running, to running backwards? Like how, how do you, how do you do that safely? Yeah. So it's not easy. Um, I, but I'm the first one to admit I've had running injuries going forward that like, you know, no one should have. Like I, when I was out of high school, I ran into a stop sign. Me and my, my friend out of college or out of high school, we were running and it was dark and I'm competitive if you couldn't tell. And we're like nearing the end and I run straight into like the car lights come in me. I run straight into the stop sign. It's the best story ever. And I got 29 stitches in my forehead and I was like 18. Right. So I got it done by a plastic surgeon. My mom's looking at me like, Oh my God, you're scarred for life. So that happened running forward. Right. So I set the bar pretty high when I fall running backwards. I mainly just fall on my butt. I roll my head up. I've, I've got a form to running backwards. Um, but I mean, it is it is difficult, right? I have to look behind me. I have to know where I'm going. It's the cracks in the roads that get you every time I run. For me, it's slower than I used to run, which as a runner, we all go through that when we age as well. Like we all run slower and that's so hard. And like, 
just because I, I run backwards and I did this doesn't mean I don't have days, most days where I come home and I, you know, tell my husband, I'm like, oh, I had a horrible run. I ran slow. He's like, you ran today. And so, you know, I think that is hard when you're like used to, but it also opened me up to meeting all different people who run for all different reasons. Right. And then as far as like injuries go, like, yeah, backwards running, we're not really meant to run backwards. I'm pretty sure about that. So I've had, you know, I broke, um, the sesamoid bones in both of my feet running a half. Um, I was, I was running and I didn't realize I had broken feet and I like got in my head and my husband's like, keep running. Why are you giving up? And then I finished the race and later on I was swimming and I like, couldn't like kick off the wall. And I had a stress fracture in one foot and a stress reaction in the other. So I was like, okay, well that may be why. So it's definitely different. Like running sneakers aren't meant for backwards running. I want to invent a backwards running sneakers. I have ideas, Um, but like, it's just different. Your muscles are different. You know, now I run, I'm lucky if I run 25 miles a week, Um, you know, it takes me longer to run. It's, it's just different. Right. But you know, I'm still running and it's been, gosh, 11, 10 years or something of running backwards. So I'll take it. That's incredible. And we usually don't talk about times because we really like to emphasize that, you know, a runner isn't defined by their times, but just by way of background, you are a 316 marathoner. <laughs> and that is, I know this because that's your Instagram handle. And, and I also love that your Instagram handle is the word runner backwards. Um, <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's amazing. But I, I, we understand what you're saying though, because for many, many years, not only did you identify as a runner, but you identified as a fast and competitive runner. So then to pivot and change your entire form, obviously, and run backwards and, and really you can't worry about your time, but then all of a sudden you're presented with the opportunity to break a world record. So of course you're going to think about your time. So it's a gift. I would imagine to have the opportunity to focus on a goal other than finishing because it's, it's great to finish, but having something competitive because of your background is important, but at the same time you have to train for that. So let's get into the nitty gritty. How does one train for a half marathon or marathon backwards? Is it similar to running forwards in terms of the training? Do you have a coach? And I have to ask what kinds of shoes do you wear for your races and and for your training? So running training in general, you have to decrease your mileage. You can't increase your mileage. There's no way I can run 40 miles or anything above 40 miles a week. I did 40 miles a week once for my 40th birthday backwards. And that like almost killed me. So, um, you can't right? And so I, or at least I can't. So I run a lot less. Um, I have now I'm running like three to four times a week. Um, when I run half marathons, I, you know, I run 10 or 12 miles, right. I have only done a marathon once, um, and it nearly killed me, but it was so much fun. Um, so I, I just trained, like I was running a marathon forward. I just decreased my mileage. So, and, you know, I still tried to do the 20 or 22 mile run. Um, but I just didn't, I didn't run a lot during the week so that my overall mileage was shorter. And I also go, like, I have an ART person. I have a, another chiropractor person. I have a million people that I go to, um, because, you know, it's hard running backwards, running forwards is hard, running backwards is hard. So, um, you know, I just, I really have to be patient with myself and stretch and all the other stuff we have to do in general. Um, and so, and then as far as like sneakers go, 
I've always had a difficulty with sneakers now running backwards because you run on the balls of your feet. Um, so you never, up the back of my foot, I never use that back part of my sneaker. Um, so I've changed it up. I used to wear Convars a long time ago. I think those are Sauconies. Um, and then I tried Hoka's, but the whole back end was like not working for me. And then most recently I've been in Brooks and um, I've been doing Ghosts and Triumph, Saucony Triumphs. And I try to mix it up there. But the biggest thing for me is like when I run forward, I, I or when I run backwards, I step on my forefoot. And so my foot expands. So I need to get like, I get like a size bigger than the running shoe I run forward in because it pushes forward. Um, and then it has to be wide. And, you know, I, I, as soon as the front cushioning is done, I got to get rid of it. So I run through sneakers a lot quicker than I would if I was running forward. Um, so yeah, that's how I train. <laughs> I think you need to work with a, with a shoe company to make modifications that would, you know, like a thicker, four foot, four foot, or, you know, like you said, or wider, that sounds like, um, something that, that should, should, should be possible. Do you supplement with cross training? Cause you talked about cycling and swimming out in California. Do you supplement with, with anything since you're not running like the typical mileage you might for a marathon or half marathon? Yeah. I mean, I do do some biking. I usually do biking when I want to do a triathlon and I do it on the day of the triathlon, <laughs> which is a really bad training technique. I don't recommend that to anyone. Um, it's safer usually, to... right? The course yeah. is closed. Like, you know, you don't have to go out on the roads and train. I get it. Exactly. Um, but I, I love swimming and I, now that I live in San Diego, I do ocean water swimming, which is incredible. Like it just, you know, especially when COVID and all the gyms were closed, you'd go to the ocean and there'd be dolphins and schools of fish. And you just, you'd forget the world was, you know, crazy at the time, right? You just go. And so I've really enjoyed ocean swimming. Um, you know, now the pools are open. So swimming in 56 degree water versus swimming in a warm pool. I sometimes go for the warm pool. Um, but I do, you know, I've, since I moved out here, I've done a lot of ocean swimming and I just really, really enjoy that. So. And how, how did, um, how did you end up getting all this attention for other than, you know, obviously setting a Guinness world record, like, how did you feel like, you know, what, what grabbed the attention? Like, how did you, how did you end up on the Today Show? How did you end up, you know, getting, uh, you know, we, there's articles written about you. Do you think it's just the Guinness world record? How did, how did, how did that happen? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody like, found you. Yeah. I mean, I, I've tried being, I'm still trying to like work on my Instagram, but I'm horrible at it. And I have a full-time job like everyone else does. And it's really hard to figure out how to like post and everything. So I, we know. So it, <laughs> yeah. So it seems to come in like spurts, like I'll do something or someone. So, you know, I ran, um, the half marathon backwards and a local San Diego Fox channel picks me up for a segment. And that was back in like 2016. And then, um, I ran New York city marathon backwards for Michael J Fox. And I'm not sure how runner's world heard about it, but somehow Cindy, who's amazing at runner's world heard about it. Um, and she actually did a story on not only me running the marathon backwards, but also runners dystonia. And I am like beyond grateful for the runners dystonia article, because I think it helped with so many people who were struggling with it. And absolutely. And, now, and coincidentally, yeah. Cindy Kuzma is a friend of ours. So she's excellent. Awesome. She's such yeah. a great writer and, and she's, she's fabulous. Um, 
I'm sorry, we didn't make that connection sooner, but now it's when the diagnosis for Kara came out, there was a big article that she wrote about runner's dystonia. And of, of course she were in it. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Keep going. So well, tell yeah. her I said hi and tell her I, that she's awesome. And I love her. She um, is awesome. <laughs> and for those who, who don't remember, she was a guest on our podcast a few times and she is one of the two. Um, the other is Carrie Cheadle who head up the uh, injured athletes club and they have their own podcast as well. Okay. Continue. So um, you were saying how people sort of picked up on your story and yeah. spurts. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the today show, I run one of the women I run with her daughter works on the today show and she just started working and they they're supposed to give like a segment or three ideas and so one of the ideas was my idea and the today show liked it so they picked it up so it's all just been a slew of like just you know different things that have caught on so you know and and it's been great like I've done a few motivational speeches um once to a bunch of my best friend to her kids class and a bunch of second graders, I think, which was awesome because the questions at the end were like, my sister runs. And I'm like, that's great. That's not a question, but okay. Like, so <laughs> that was really fun. And then, um, I did one for the company I work at now and my previous company. So that's been, that I is probably my favorite thing is cause I, I didn't think I didn't start running backwards to motivate people. I ran backwards cause I missed running. And so it's really cool when someone's like, oh, well now, like even your AC at like something that gives them an idea that they, they don't have to give up. They can keep running. They can find other ways. So, so not to put you on the spot, but can you give us the cliffs notes of your motivational speech to your company? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, it was a year ago. It was some time ago, but I mean, the biggest thing I can, I can send you it too, but the biggest thing was that, you know, it's just you have to find other ways, like giving up for me was not an option. Right. And I think so many times it's easier to just say, well, this is what life handed me. And I'm just gonna, I'm just, that's it. I'm not going to run. Like so many doctors, right. Always say this test as runners, if you find the wrong doctor, they're going to say, well, just don't run and your knee will get better. Right. And so, you know, I think it's a lot easier to just not. And so I, that's my biggest thing is like, just find a way. And like, really, I mean, I really do think like, if you just put your mind to it, you can find, you can find your happiness in other ways. You don't have to completely give up. And look at you now, you're inspiring people and you're, um, you know, you're making your own mark, even though, you know, it's not maybe how you imagined it, maybe, you know, in terms of your times at marathons or the marathons that you're completing, but you're really um, making an impact. And, um, you know, a lot of times we talk to injured runners and in interview injured runners or people who face challenges and they say, there's a reason this happened, like, you know, in the end, yeah. there's a... It, not that it happened for a reason, but in the end, I made the best out of it. And and you really, you really have, what are your, other than um, breaking the record again and getting, <laughs> getting your half marathon record back, what are your goals? Do you have um, goals for this year? Are there other um, things that you want to accomplish? Yeah, I want to run New York City Marathon again. Um, it's my favorite marathon. I know a lot of people love Boston. I love Boston. Probably my second favorite though, to be <laughs> New York is my favorite. Um, it's just, you know, my dad's first and, and I just love the crowds. So I think I want to run New York again. Um, I don't know if it'll be this year, if not this year, next year. Um, and I'd like to do a half Ironman with a backwards run. So I think that's very possible. 
I don't know if I'll run for the marathon. I want to run the whole thing backwards. That's what I tried to do in, in New York in 2017 is not walk at all, which is even when you're running a marathon forward is really hard. Um, so for the half Ironman, I'd be okay if I need to walk to walk, but that's my goal is to do a half. I used to want to do an Ironman, but after running a marathon backwards, there's no way, at least at this point. So half Ironman and then, you know, again, uh, New York City one more time. Well, not one more time. I'm thinking every decade I want to do a marathon. So I'll try maybe for New York this decade of my life. And then who knows, maybe in my 50s, I'll do it. But maybe I'll walk more. <laughs> I love that. It, those are what, what I love about your goals is that they're challenging goals, but you know, your limits and they're attainable. You're not saying you want to run a marathon every year. You're saying every decade, which puts you in a place because you mentioned it takes a lot out of you to train for a marathon. Yeah. So to that end, you mentioned you have run one marathon once, and that is, um, run a marathon once. And that is of course, New York city. Uh, walk us through what that was like for you. And in particular, um, what happened along the course that was really special for you? Oh gosh. Um, so I'll give you a little background you could totally cut this out, but so New York city marathon, um, my cousin approached me and was like, oh, you should run it for Michael J. Fox foundation. Um, and you know, we grew up with my dad having Parkinson's always going to central park to watch Michael J. Fox speak. And like, just you know, that was a household name in my house, right? Because similar to Kara Goucher, like he was the the person who gave it a name. And like, so I, I think that's important that we have that, right? Um, and so Michael J. Fox was a household name. And so um, he's like, you should really run it for Michael J. Fox Foundation. And I'm like, I want to run a marathon backwards, but I think it's impossible. I'm not sure I can do it. And these were the thoughts going through my mind. And honestly, you know, all the things I've did, like getting on the Rutgers cross country team, I have never thought something was impossible except for running a marathon backwards. I really thought that was like impossible for me. So I gave it some thought and I'm like, well, whatever, if I don't do it now, when? So I, so I was going to do it for Michael J. Fox. Um, I met this great guy, Gene, who um, has started an app called Charity Miles, which is an awesome app where you can log in to charities. Um, and so we, you know, he was in New York. I was in California. We met. Um, we actually never met in person until the day of the New York City Marathon Expo. So I flew to New York, you know, where my family is. I went to the Expo and I met this person named Gene and he had um, helped blind um, athletes complete an Ironman. So he had already experienced it. And he goes to me, well, should I run alongside you? And I'm like, no, you need to run behind me. Cause that's how my spotter normally goes. So we had never ran together once and we were going to run 26.2 miles together. Um, so then, you know, New York city marathon happens. And so I reached out to, um, wrote to New York, um, city marathon organizers and kind of said, I'm planning to then run this backwards. Is it possible to start closer, not close to the front, but closer? Because for me, running backwards, it's a lot harder to pass people than it is to get past, which sounds horrible. You know, I don't want people to have to pass me, but it's just hard, right? So um, we got a pretty good position. Um, I, you know, Gene and I, because of his association, he got into, he got to go to the challenged athletes um, tent. 
And they were amazing. And I was like, this is just incredible to see all these people who are going to run New York City Marathon, you know, and just overcoming their challenges. And so that was awesome to start off the day. Um, and then we get to the starting line and this will be my 10th marathon. First one backwards. I've never had a rainy day in my life. It's raining. I'm like, great. Tremendous. Um, so it was drizzling. It wasn't raining hard, but it was drizzling and like nine marathons never had rain. And this is the first one. So get to start. Um, and I'm running up Verrazano bridge and it is the coolest thing ever. Cause you see like everyone's faces and everyone at Verrazano is like smiling and excited and just so happy. And like, I still remember running up the Verrazano bridge and there's this person videotaping next to me who's speaking Italian, which is also the cool thing about New York city marathon, right? It's everyone from everywhere. And he like videotapes me and asks me a question. I don't even remember what it was. And like we said something and then he kept running, but it just, it's New York city marathon, you know, that's part of the marathon. And then you know, at mile 13 or so, I went to the bathroom and came out um, just for a quick stop. And, and Gene's like, you're running whatever time. And I'm like, that's my fastest half marathon time ever. And he's like, that's great. I'm like, no, it's not. And so I keep running. Um, and then I get to mile 19. Um, and so I'll have to go back to tell you the night before, because I, I, the night before is actually stupendous. But anyway, I get to mile 19 and there's this person who gives me a hug. And I think it's my brother because I don't know at this point, I've ran 19 miles backwards. It's, you know, 316 to now six hours and six minute marathon is a lot different, right? So I've been on my feet forever. It's raining. My nephew and my husband now met me so I could change my socks at like mile 16 because they were soaked and it was painful. And so I'm giving this person a hug and then I realize it's Michael J. Fox <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I'm leaning on him because I smell horrible and I'm sweaty and I just don't want to stand up anymore. And then I'm like, oh, crap, it's Michael J. Fox. And then I like, I stop, you know, step back because I got to finish running and he's like talking to me and I'm like, well, I got to go. Bro. Great to see you. And so I keep running. <laughs> And then, um, that was I awesome. I love that you, I love that you like blew off Michael J. Fox. I'm, I'm like, oh, talk to you later. <laughs> in the middle of a marathon. When did you stop to talk? That's, that's very cool. So, yeah. so did that carry you through the rest of the race? When you saw him at mile 19, the hardest part of the race, in my opinion, are those last six miles. Yeah. I mean, I got in Central Park and I still remember at one point I stopped and I was like crying because my feet were just, cause I was running on the forefeet, like my forefoot the whole entire time. And I just was like, I can't, I can't anymore. And the people in New York were just amazing. Right. And so I, I walked backwards for like two steps. Cause I was like, I'm not looking forward. I'm going backwards. And then I started running again, but it was, I was, you know, in tears almost I felt like it I couldn't go further um but then I did <laughs> and I got past the finish line and it was the it's honestly the most amazing feeling ever like it honest better than the Guinness world because I honestly thought it was impossible and I just proved to myself it was possible and so it was you know m my favorite moment of probably my running career 
That's amazing. And that gives me, get, gives me the chills. Um, tell us about the night before you tell us, you want to tell us about the, oh, so, tell us about the night before. So the night before, you know, my gene is like, there's for, if you're running for Michael J. Fox foundation, right. You can go into the city and have dinner with Michael J. Fox and the team Fox. And I'm, you know, I'm a runner. So I'm like, well, that sounds like a lot to go into New York city, have dinner and come home. Like I need to be in bed by like seven o'clock at night. Like this is not, but my friend Jean's like, you have to come, you have to come. And so I get there and, you know, my sister and my brother are there. Um, and my mom, so I bring my family, um, and Michael J. Fox is there and he's talking and then he says something about me. And like, he, he was such a great, like he was making a joke about like running backwards and how he couldn't walk forward. And it just re one reminded me of my dad. Cause my dad would joke about his, his situation. And I think sometimes that's the only way you get through it. And he just made a joke about like him not being able to walk forward, but me running backwards. And, and it was just great. And so that was really exciting seeing Michael J. Fox there. And so it just kind of like, when I hugged him, I was like, oh my gosh. So all together, it was pretty amazing. And then this story is just kind of funny for anybody who's a runner. So we're taking a taxi cab or an Uber cab back to Teaneck where my mom is. And the Uber driver is telling me about his marathon experience. And supposedly he has a medal of honor. I don't, I don't know how I've, I haven't heard of him maybe. And then he tells me how I'm not supposed to drink water from anyone because it's too cold and it'll mess you up. So don't drink water from anyone. And he's like, this is the only thing and you will have an awesome run. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so no that was self. never take advice from the Uber driver on the way to a race. Yeah. I'm like, I'm definitely never. taking water. I'm not crazy. No. So, um, first of all, it, it really is remarkable what, what you've accomplished. Second of all, I have just like logistical questions. So I'm trying to envision running a marathon or a half marathon backwards. So do you look ever behind you or do you put your trust in your guide and keep your, keep your head forward the whole time forward, meaning in front of you, or are you looking behind when you're running backwards? And then what observations have you found by running backwards that are unique um, in terms of the race experience, because we are as runners running forward. When you race, you're you visualize running behind people. You're looking at people's backs the entire time. You have a completely different vantage point. You've done both. So talk to us about those logistics. And then um, water stops when things start to get crowded. How do you navigate that? So these are all things that are coming into my mind, picturing it for myself. So walk us through that and, and what that looks like for you. Yeah. So a lot of my runs, um, during the week, I run either by myself or with friends and I love all my running friends, but we forget that I'm running backwards and they're not there to spot me. Right. So we talk and sometimes I fall, but I, I take full ownership of looking behind me and seeing if there's anything I'm going to fall on. Um, marathons and half marathons, I won't do without a spotter. That's why I've kind of switched to triathlons because I can do triathlons by myself because by the time I get off the bike, the running field is a lot smaller. So I can kind of navigate my way through that. Um, so I'll sign up for triathlons more than I will for runs for runs. I need a spotter. Um, the half marathons I've done, I've had 
my brother, my husband, and Jean, who I trust. Um, Jean was fantastic. I didn't fall once during New York City Marathon. I've fallen in all my other half marathons. My brother and husband are awesome, and my sister are awesome, but I've fallen with them. I didn't fall with Jean at all. Um, but I, I trust them. You know, if there's a really tight situation, they'll just say, I don't know what to say. Look back. Like, because there comes a time where they, they can't navigate for me. Um, so that happens. Then as far as like water stops go, usually someone grabs me the water and I run like, or I stop and I try to stay away from the, the sides so that I can take the water further down because it's just impossible and it gets really crowded. Um, and so, and it's also hard running because if, if the roads are slick and there's like you know, something you would slip on. I think the hard part about running backwards too, is when you feel yourself falling, you can't catch yourself like running forward. You can kind of re, but backwards, it's really hard to like stop the fall. Um, so that's how I handle like water stops. And then the second part of your question, I feel like there was a second part that I missed. What was, was that? The, what's it like compared to when oh. you run forwards versus backwards and, and what what it feels like in the scenery and all of that. I mean, one thing is I can always tell my friends when there's a bike back because I'm always facing them. So they tell me when there's a runner back, I tell them when there's a back bike. We have conversations like facing each other, which is kind of cool too, because I can see their faces and they can see mine. Um, and then, you know, I think I talked about the New York City Marathon, but like that was Verrazano Bridge. I also saw the pain on people's faces at like mile 18. And then I saw the happiness at mile like 25 or 20, you know, 5.8. Right. So I think, you know, that is really cool. And then I just, it's, it's different. And I mean, I think even like the reactions you get running backwards, like everything about it is a whole different world and a different experience. And it, it's cool. And like, even like my husband will sometimes run backwards when we're running together. I've seen people I pass like just running and then like the little kid will start running backwards for like a hundred meters just to try it out. So it's different. I mean, it's, you know, it's great on your knees. I never have knee problems running backwards. <laughs> so it's, it's all together, just a different experience, different, you know, the views. I think the other part about it, not only the scenery, but you kind of, you kind of know when someone's like right next to you, <laughs> it's like your other, like, you know, you just feel them. So that's kind of been interesting. Develop yeah. other senses that you, yeah, that you exactly wouldn't, that you wouldn't have otherwise. I would think too, that, you know, we talked about, you talked about going from a 316 marathoner to a six hour marathoner, the, the vibe probably around you is, is probably very different. Like when you're with 316 marathoners, people aren't talking, they're pretty serious. They're like yeah. focused, but back in the six hours, I guess, you know, that people are a little bit more festive and talking and casual about it. So there's probably, I would guess kind of a different vibe. Yeah. I mean, when I was, you know, in my twenties, all I wanted to do was break my marathon time and break my next marathon time. And it was, you know, I knew people who ran in college who were running and, and I knew, whereas now like there's people who just, just run to run and they don't know who, you know, the record holder of the marathon is like, they just are running because it keeps them active. And like, that's so cool to see because you know, sometimes we get obsessed with like the numbers and, and some people are just running to be healthy. And so, you know, that's something I'm trying to do more of. 
That's great. Do you ever try to run forward anymore? Like, do you ever, or do you just say like, forget, like it's not, like, are there good days and bad days? Cause I know, you know, when we see Kara Goucher's story, she'll say there are some days she can do some yeah. forward running. Do you ever try it? Or now you're just like, no, backward running is cool. And I'm good with it. I, so I feel like it's, I don't know who said this, but someone once said running is like a love story. Like I feel like forward running and I had a really amazing kick-ass relationship and me trying to run forward again will just like not it's not the same like I, you can't go for me I can't go back but you know in Teaneck we are running in New Jersey over the winter time and it was like rain and ice and so I turned around and ran like 100 meters just to run forward um you know part of me I don't I don't know if I'm it's not that I'm scared to run forward but like my forward running was like, I loved that. I kind of just don't want to touch it anymore. Like maybe that'll change, but right now I don't want to touch it. And I also like, I think it's great that all these people are finding ways to like continue running forward, whether it's through the Botox injection, like different things. But for me, I just, I found a way and this is my way and I'm going to keep doing it until I can. And then I'll figure out another way. I'll figure out what's next. But like right now this is working. That's great. You set such a great example, and we wanted to ask you one last question, which you transitioned to very nicely, which is what advice do you have for folks who are going through health challenges and are feeling really defeated? What advice can you offer them? That there's always tomorrow and things, I, I think, you know, and not saying, I mean, for me, right, runner's dystonia was a huge impact to my life, I feel like, but then I look around and there's people doing amazing things with even less or even bigger challenges. And so as hard as this is, there's another day and there's tomorrow. And like, what are you going to do with tomorrow? And and so it might suck right now. And, and don't get me wrong. Like there are days when I can't run because I'm injured and it's the end of the world, but I know there's a tomorrow and I know there's you know, I've been having on and off and, and the past week I've been running and loving it. And I know that's, that's in my future. Like there's going to be days where I'm not going to be able to run or where I'm going to be injured, but then there's going to be days where I, I fall in love with running again. And, and, you know, same thing with everything else. Like it's going to be hard days, but then there's going to be days where you wake up and the sun is shining and the ocean is there. And there's a million reasons to not be sad. Right. And so it's just finding those, those things that make us happy. Well, it's clear you've made a choice to embrace, you know, whatever you've hand you've been dealt and make the best of it. And we are so glad that we've connected with you and able to talk to you because we think that your story resonates with um, all sorts of people and all sorts of challenges, whether it just be a bad running day or a stretch of, you know, of injuries or a, or a more permanent condition that's really going to have to change the way you think about your running. Um, mm -hmm. But we are so glad that that we've connected with you and we are excited to watch what's next for you and and follow follow your journey. And we just appreciate you taking the time um, to talk to us and and share with us today. And like I said, your story, I think, resonates with with everybody, um, regardless of, of the challenges the, or the level of challenges they're facing. So we really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we will link to your Instagram account in our show notes. Is there anywhere else that um, you, that our listeners could find you if they have any questions? Um, Instagram and Facebook, but either one works. Um, and then, you know, I've had people reach out to me who have either suffered from dystonia or from Parkinson's or something. I'm 
I'm always happy to like, I'm not happy to hear it, but I'm always there. And if anyone ever, you know, feels the need, like I'm, I'm happy to, to talk to them. Cause I think it's important that, you know, we support each other. It's so generous of you. And we so appreciate you offering that to our listeners. So Justine, thank you so much for joining us today. Your story is nothing short of remarkable. And we are so grateful that we've had an opportunity to hear it firsthand and and allow our listeners to hear all about you. And uh, thank you so much. You're just truly an inspiration. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you both. It was a pleasure. Happy running. You too. Bye. Bye. Welcome to another edition of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. We have a really special guest today, and I think you're going to really enjoy hearing all about him and how he's overcome some challenges so that he can run. So tell us, introduce yourself. What's your name and how old are you? Hello, my name is Noah and I'm 10 years old and I'm in fifth grade. You're in fifth grade. And where do you live? I live in Delaware. Oh, wow. And are you involved in sports? Do you play any sports? Um, I love to play baseball. You do? Oh, wow. So in baseball, you have to run for baseball, right? Yes. Tell us when you have to run in baseball. So um, whenever you hit the ball, you have to go to the next base quickly before you get out. Yeah. And in practices for when you have practices, do they your coaches have you run? Um, yes. And I'm mostly slower than the other kids. You are. Is there a reason that you're slower than the other kids? So I have a medical condition called multiple hereditary exotosis. It's a bone condition where there's little tumors growing on your bones. When did you find out you had that condition? So, um, when I was around four in kindergarten, not, not that wouldn't be four, but, um, I had them in my ribs and we went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with the condition. Wow. Did they hurt? Not much at the time, but as I get older, they hurt more. Interesting. And so, so tell us what your condition keeps you from doing. So, um, if I hit it, it really hurts. So it keeps me from playing dodgeball or like something that can get in very hard contact. I can't contact sports because it's mainly in my legs. And if I hit the ball in soccer, it would really hurt. But um, baseball even comes with some challenges when playing. So contact sports mainly. Right. But, but so running is not a contact sport. So can you yeah. run? Yes. But after a while, my legs get really tired. And sometimes that could result in my MHE hurting. Really? So have you found a way to work around the challenges? Yes. How do you do that? So, um, I try to rest it mostly, and um, sometimes I could ice it or just um, really just cool it down, and then I'll get back to whatever I'm doing. It's not something that lasts for a while. So are there sometimes that it feels better, and sometimes you, you don't feel it at all, and sometimes you feel it more? Yep. Once in a while, a tumor will cross over another, and it will make a really uncomfortable feeling, and that really keeps me from doing what I want to do in a, a situation. And how do how does that get better? How does that improve? I mean, when that happens with the tumors, just, do yeah. they just go away? Do you have to go to the doctor? They, they usually will, will go away, but once they start happening more often, I'll have to have surgery to get these out. Wow. Do you, has the doctor told you, like, when you might need to have surgery? Yep. It could be in two years, one year. I know I'm going this year to ch- have them checked out. Yeah, how often do you go to the doctor? So I do it once every year in the middle of the year. Yeah, and where do you go to the doctor? 
I go in Baltimore, Sinai Hospital. Wow. And is it is that scary to you to think that you might need to have surgery? Um, I know that it will benefit my body, but it is a bit worrying that I'll have to have another cast because I, when I was younger, I had curly toes, and that kept me from running all the time. But you run now. Yep. That's great. Um, so what advice, after going through all of that and all the challenges that you've had, what advice would you have for other kids who have physical limitations? So always always don't um, push yourself if you, you have your condition hurting. You always want to do what you want to do. Don't put your boundaries too low or don't put your boundaries too high because it could result in um, getting hurt. Right. You have to listen to your body, right? Yep. Right, but don't underestimate yourself, but also listen to your body. That is really, really good advice. And what are your goals for next season when you start baseball again? So I feel like I really, I really just less, I less wanting to have my MHG hurting and just work around it and just have fun mainly and just know it's there, but you could still do everything without it. I think that's awesome. And I've seen you play baseball. I think you're a really good baseball player. And I can't wait to see what you're able to do this season. So thank you for joining us on the podcast. We're going to keep up with your story. And we want you to come back and tell us how you're doing. Okay? Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others. And please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.